Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alison and I have a friend who lives overseas in a place where there is a lot of opposition and criticism to Christians. And he sent me an article recently debunking Christian versions of all the various conspiracy theories that have been circulating on social media during the global pandemic. Now, this stuff really annoys him, not only uh, because it's not true, and it's therefore a lie, uh, which is actually bad, uh, but because when you start putting Jesus' name to lies, especially to uh, religious lies, like it's some sort of branding or logo or recommendation, you're basically doing something that's pretty well evil. And this makes my friend's life much harder. People around him who are opposed to Christianity, I mean, they, they, they don't hold back. They go, hey, look, look what your Christians are into. You guys are crazy. What is that? 5G and COVID, Bill Gates and nanochips. The world's going to end like last Tuesday. Who could believe you about anything you say? Now, what's so interesting, though, about the article that my friend sent It was written by thoughtful Christians. They didn't just stop at debunking the conspiracies with, uh, you know, I don't know, things like uh, evidence. But they went on to include a section about spiritual discernment. How, when maybe it is hard to get to the fact, you can still be spiritually discerning about what we are taught is true. Now, the answer they gave in that part of their article is basically summarised for us today in the reading we had from James. Is the wisdom that we're seeing from above or from below, is the manner and words with which these ideas are given to us addressed in the patient and life-giving, fruitful wisdom of God or in the destructive and divisive wisdom of demons? And that is very, very helpful distinction for us to pay attention to. James, in his Take No Prisoners uh, discipleship course that we've been going through, he's been dealing essentially with the same theme. It's the theme of growth. How do we grow? How do we change? How do we use everything that happens to us to mature us or to move us towards completion as human beings and as followers of the Lord Jesus? How do we uh, close the gap uh, between where we are and where we're heading in Christ Jesus? 
Now, he's talked a lot about gaps in his letter. He's talked about the gap between our faith and our works. He's talked about uh, our most powerful work, the wild, untamed beast that is our tongue and the words it pours out that display our hearts to the world. And the gap there, says James, is between the good and evil words that we speak. So he's been talking about work and words, and now he gets to wisdom. And the gap here is between the wisdom that God gives, the wisdom from above, and basically our default setting, the earthly, or even uh, demonic wisdom. Now, you will remember, this is the second uh, time that James has written to us about wisdom. Uh, the first time, the getting of wisdom is a response to the trials and struggles that we encounter in life. If we lack wisdom in knowing how to deal with our trials and our suffering, basically, James's answer is get a prayer life. So he, he tells us in chapter one of his letter, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, do not believe and, and uh, do not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. So, so the question is, how do you know? How do you know when that prayer has been answered? When do you know you've got the wisdom that you need? Well, the answer to that question is here in chapter 3. Here is what the wisdom from above looks like. Now, we're going to spend some time unpacking the description of wisdom that James gives us, and then I'm going to finish by asking how does that help us to be spiritually discerning and what difference would this wisdom from above make to us if it was let loose in our lives now. But let's look at what he means by wisdom. So I'm at chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. It's literally works done in meekness. It's the same word Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, now, James is being really provocative again uh, because to, in the world that James was writing this letter to, uh, it was like our Western world, we do not value humility. We do not think of meekness as a strength. We think of meekness or submission before what's true or what is right as a bit of a weakness, really. That's not leadership, is it? I mean, leadership commands leadership, inspires leadership, is bossy leadership, bullies uh, leadership, is ambitious, it reaches towards higher sales targets, it reaches towards uh, boasts and achievements and it envies and it competes, it commands, it over-consumes. Uh, it's not deterred by things that petty people worry about, you know, little things like um, truth or perhaps justice or maybe uh, mercy or self-control or consideration or certainly nothing like, you know, do unto others as you have them do unto you. James says, but if you harbour 
bitter, envy, bitterness, uh, envy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, when he says that our default setting is earthly wisdom, he means that's the setting of our animal nature. In the world that James wrote to, uh, where actually ordinary people knew a great deal more about animals than most people in our city do today, uh, what distinguished a human being from the animals was actually our spiritual capacity. I mean, perhaps we'd call that today our cognitive capacity, but for the ancients, uh, it meant more than just the human capacity for reason when they talked about our spiritual capacity. Uh, What they meant was we had a capacity to restrain our animal instincts, to rise above them. And if if we run on animal nature, then we're running on our reflexes and our instincts and our hungers and our fight and flight response, um, then to be human means to be accountable and not just reactive. So when he says that wisdom from below can even descend past the animal to the demonic, what he's saying there is it means it can dip below even our instinctive, reactive animal nature. And animals are just being animals. They're not accountable in any way for how they react. But it can dip below that and become consciously and deliberately destructive, evil and wrong. And the fruit of this kind of wisdom is disorder. Now, for our spreadsheet lovers, yes, that means wisdom from below ruins structure. It ruins harmony. It ruins parts that are working together. But the real cost of the disorder is a relational one. People are driven apart by this demonic wisdom. James is referring first up, of course, to churches. That's that's who he's writing to, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion of the exile. But, of course, this kind of wisdom is found everywhere, isn't it? It's found in families. It's found in businesses. It's it's found in universities. It's found in gyms. it's, It's found down the shops. It's found in nations as well. It is always easier to destroy than to build. So... Spiritual discernment lesson number one. If you see that kind of wisdom and its fruit, you know it's from below. It is not from God. So, spiritual discernment lesson number two. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So that's what the wisdom from above looks like, and that's what its effect is. So the details are these. It's from above. That is, it's a gift. It's an answer to prayer. It is grace. It's from outside 
of our own default natures. It's a work of God by his Holy Spirit. We have to seek and ask, but this is what he gives to us. And it's first of all pure. That is, it's uncluttered. Sarin kika God, put it this way. It is to will one thing. It's focus. It, it's, there's a simplicity to the wisdom from above because it's not trying to invent clever ways to serve itself or to get around rules or whatever else. So it's pure. It's also peaceable. Uh, it's peace-loving. Uh, at that name, that's not peace at any price. That's not, you know, walk over me and wipe your boots on my face kind of compromise. We'll, we'll get to that. But it, it puts the relationships above its own ego. Or even, and, and this is really, really hard to say, it puts the relationships above efficiency or the need to get the job done. And that was really hard to say. But this wisdom from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's considerate, that is, it's gentle. Actually, the word there is hard to translate. Um, And the reason for that is because it's a legal term. Um, It's the word that's been used to describe uh, wise judicial decisions when we get to the limits of the written law. Uh, For example, a, a strict interpretation of the law may exile a father to Van Diemen's land for stealing some bread to feed a hungry family. By the letter of the law, uh, that person is guilty. But a wiser judge, if there were any existing, uh, would know that given the circumstances, such a punishment would create more harm than uh, it seeks to solve. The wisdom from above is reasonable. I love that. It's, it's, you can reason with this wisdom. The NIV translates that as, uh, as, as submissive, but I, I don't think that's a particularly helpful term for our culture. It's it's a way of saying truth matters, learning matters, discussion matters. And the wisdom from above is merciful. It makes allowances, it's patient for people to change, and yet it's impartial. Uh, Literally, it's, uh, it's undivided. We may make allowances, but the truth still remains. This is not a call to become a doormat, There is clarity over what is right and what is wrong. People can't get away with anything in this version of wisdom because the consequences for persisting in right or the consequences for persisting in wrong, they still remain. And this wisdom, this wisdom from above is sincere. It's literally without hypocrisy and hypocritos. It is consistent in character. In other words, the gaps in this wisdom are very closed, very narrow. What you see is what you get. What they say is what they do. What they pray is what they believe. And the effect, the effect of this wisdom from above is fruit. It's growing, and it's the opposite of division. It is shalom. It is peace. It's wholeness. It is for healing what's broken. And so what's so interesting about this God-given wisdom is that In the soil of merciful peace and wholeness is actually where righteousness, right lives, can grow. Isn't that interesting? Mercy and peace and wholeness are not there for license, not there to serve 
just doing whatever we want. But they're there to serve growth in rightness, in righteousness, in good deeds, good works. So here is a resource that comes from above. It comes from outside us in response to our prayers and it begins to change our suffering in James 1 into maturity, our biases in James 1 uh, into God's view of other people, our faith, James 2, into works and to tame that wild animal that is our tongue in James 3. So how does this wisdom, this wisdom, this gift from above help? So glad you asked that question. Great question. First of all, it helps us in spiritual discernment, doesn't it? You know, if if things arrive on your doorstep or in the meeting agenda or in the inbox or in the chat room or on the feed or in the letterbox, remember letterboxes? Anything that, that is hateful and suspicious, divisive, reactive, instinctual or unjust, unmerciful, inciting fear or violence or envy or lust or betrayal or distrust, Uh, then you know where it's from. But secondly, if things arrive that are patient, respectful of truth, discerning yet full of signs of mercy and kindness, seeking to grow and join rather than to destroy and to divide, then you know where that's from too. So what difference does that make to our lives? You're asking some great questions today. Thank you. Well, you tell me. We spend our lives striving for things. Uh, they're necessary and, and good things, things to help us survive and thrive and to aim for some version of happiness or contentment. Now, what stood out for me in, in coming back to this letter of James and his discipleship course for Christians is the goal we often leave out of our striving is the most important goal we could actually have. And that is the goal of striving for godliness, of striving for maturity in Christ Jesus and closing the gap on what we believe and what we do. Now just imagine the difference that could make just to be an inch closer to who we are becoming in Jesus, sorry, metric, just to be 2.54 centimetres closer to who we are becoming in Jesus. It doesn't sound quite as cool when I put it that way. What difference would it make? All the difference in the world. I mean, if you've got a few clicks on the Odo, then you'll have met people who seem to have great opportunities or resources or relationships who are basically bent out of shape and miserable. And maybe, maybe you've been fortunate enough to meet people who haven't got much, you know, not much health, not much wealth, not much class, not much education, but they're rich in faith. And to be with them is, is like hearing some of the most attractive music you've ever heard. Old man Ecclesiastes, remember him from earlier this year? He was making the same point about wisdom James makes. You remember that uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, with his, you know, been there, done that, I'm going to disillusion you into wisdom teaching, said, basically, you can have everything, but you can have it without joy or satisfaction or purpose 
or meaning. And joy and satisfaction and purpose and meaning is found by dancing between the lines of godliness that God lays out for us. His gift of wisdom from above. Now imagine that in your marriage. Imagine that in your job or in your friendships with your enemies and and your critics, with your kids, with your parents, in our church, in all the churches. What difference does this wisdom make? All the difference in the world. So let's pray for that wisdom now. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, you say uh, through James that if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask you for it and you will give it generously to us, to us without finding fault. So we do ask for it now. We ask for the wisdom from above. We ask for the ability uh, to live good lives by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. We ask for wisdom to know how to live. We ask for wisdom that is pure, then peace-loving, considerate, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Lord, we ask for the wisdom to be peacemakers who sow in peace to reap a harvest of righteousness. Amen.